Down the Slope podcast with myself, Ewan, and as usual, we are joined by Greg. Hello. And Harry. Hey. This week, we'll be reviewing the last minute winner in Perth, whilst also previewing the Aberdeen game, discussing news that Martin Boyle signed a new deal with Hibs, and alongside that, we have Hibstery and Hybe of the Week to get through. Right, guys, moving straight into it. 1 0 away at St Johnston, last minute winner. How many times have we seen that at Easter Road? Greg, what did you make of Hibs this week? Terrible. Thanks, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm like, I don't really mind when teams play, like when Hibs team played bad, as long as they get a result in the end. Obviously, ideally, we'd play a bit better than we did there. But we've played three games in a row now in which we've been very subpar. But in each of the three games, we've not conceded a goal, even though some of the defenders have been a bit questionable. I think in the past game, uh, Doig was the defender that was a bit off. But um, overall, I was, I wasn't. Obviously, we scored the goal at the end, so I was happy after the game ended. And I think if we didn't score that goal, I would have been a bit frustrated. But as I say, I think the problem with the team last season was the grit and determination. So the fact that we've actually got that and we can pull out a last-minute winner is something that we've not seen in a Hibs team in a very long time. So it's nice to see. Just following on from my my comment, um, I thought we were pretty bad for the majority of the game. Um, I just feel like we're still lacking something in midfield. We've just got Alan to really step it up and you know, actually produce something, but yeah, I think it'll pay for the list on the cracks. Yeah, I think like obviously there's still positives to take. We've got a hundred percent away record, remain unbeaten. We've kept three clean sheets on the spin. The defence still looks strong. As much as St Johnston again dominated the ball in the second half like Motherwell did, I don't really think they created much. Marciano made a couple of decent saves, more for like blocking low crosses and stuff like that. First half, obviously, they had their disallowed goal, which very evidently looks like it should have been given. However, we would take that all the time. It always feels like Hibs seem to get done by them constantly. Um, up to that point, I actually thought we were all right. And I almost feel like the disallowed goal actually gave St Johnston the boost to kick on from there. Um, obviously, I didn't really agree with the formation, but if Nisbet was injured, then your hands are sort of tied unless you start going. But that would leave you with no striker on the bench. Um, Harry, what did you make of Jack Ross's tactics at the weekend? I think one thing he tried to focus on that quite a lot of the fans brought up with the Motherwell game is whenever the players, especially the defensive players, were on the ball, they were just getting it and hoofing it up the pitch. But it's the first time this season, I think, that we've actually had more possession in the opposition. So even though we didn't really do much effective with the ball, um, we still managed to hold the ball relatively well. I thought Porches in particular um, done a good job instead of just Russian, when he was on the ball, he actually passed it around the defence, which was nice to see. Yeah, I think like it was clear at half-time, I think we had 60% of the ball, and then even it did feel like St. Johnson dominated the second half, I think at the end we had 54 or 55% possession. So maybe it is the Hibs fans' way to just maybe overreact a wee bit, think that we should be playing free-flowing football constantly all the time. Obviously, a stat came out after the game, um, I think on Monday, Hibs sort of put out there, most points under Ross outside of the old firm since he came in, and also the most goals scored. So yeah, it's maybe been fairly slow in terms of the scintillating football that we want to see early in the season, minus the Livingston game. I think there's definitely enough players there that I would expect Hibs to kick on, and hopefully against Aberdeen we do so. Greg, you got any other thoughts from the weekend? 
Um, I thought like we were very good bringing the ball out from the back. Um, maybe we got lacking in midfield again. We've touched on that already, but I, th- I just think that Doidge up front was a wee bit isolated. We said it enough last season under Heckenbottom that he cannot play up front of his own. Um, totally different story when he was up with, up with someone else um, as he was with the Rat Canberry at um, McDermott Park last season. Um, and ended up getting a, getting a hat trick and he really kicked on from there. So I think he personally himself struggles playing up, up front of his own. Um, but yeah, I think it's kind of hands tied with with the situation. Obviously, Nesbitt being injured and there's not enough not enough cover there. Obviously, if you play gunning, you leave yourself a, a striker shot on the bench. So, don't understand why he done it. Yeah, I think like other than that, again the setup. I think we were sort of forced in the first half, but he looked very hesitant to even move to the sort of three-five-two in the second half, and it felt like he was never going to do it. And when he did, obviously Dre Wright went on the left wing back, Gullen up top, Halberg into the middle. I thought we, that was probably the most threatening we looked in the last twenty minutes of the game. I think there was a wee spell where Dre Wright was getting some joy on the left. Maybe we didn't make much of it, but it's clear to me, in my opinion anyway, that 3-5-2 very evidently is the best way for us to get the best out of the players that we have available. It lets Boyle stay wide. You can get Allen in the 10. You can choose two of your midfielders to play. If you want to play Dre Wright or Josh Doig at left wing, but they've both got enough of an engine to get up and down. And you've got two strikers. I think it's very clearly the best way for us to fit our best players into the team it's a bit worrying that since half an hour into the opening day of the season Jack Ross has almost entirely chucked it and then reverted to it and we've seen the benefits every time so why are we not starting games like that? Almost seems like he's determined not to play it which to me seems very strange I mean we get by far the most joy out of the 3-5-2 we can fit them when we want to fit them also the players when we react a bit better to it because they're in their own positions, the positions that they know they play best in, but yeah, I don't really see why he would why he wouldn't continue playing that. I think um, one thing that we've not even touched on yet, um, after a long-term injury, it's always difficult to come back, and especially when you've got your critics, I think Stevie Mallon knows he's got, but to step up and take that penalty, because I was quite, as soon as he stepped up and took the ball, I was shitting myself, because eh? I thought he's came on, he's been pretty poor. But the composure you had with that penalty, people always say in a pressure situation, just smack it as hard as you can and hope for the best because the keeper's probably not going to save it. And he did. And it was a crackery, a penalty. Like, the keeper probably wouldn't have got to it even if he went the right way. But I was glad to see him back in the team. And if Allen keeps performing poorly, I would love to see him start. Yeah, I mean, obviously last week I was all aboard the Stevie Mallon fanfare. I did predict he'd score a goal. I think we all thought Hibbs would probably play a bit better than we did at the weekend. But... I was absolutely shining it for a different reason because I'd have just taken a power of abuse if he'd missed it. <laughs> so uh, I'm quietly confident that he was going to score. But um, I certainly never seen the winner coming, so it was nice. And it was good to see Marlon back in the team. He's, he gives you another option. I think he probably is fighting with Scott Allen for the sort of 10 position. I do think he can probably do a job in the three as well, though, sort of where Newell plays. But again, he's the same as the other midfielders that if we go very. Either it's a four-two-three-one or a four-four-two. I don't think any of them are cut out to play in a two. I do think they're all good footballers. Gogic obviously gives you that other dimension, but I don't think he's probably good enough on the ball to play in a two. Thinking a two, you really need midfielders, sort of like Greg Dockett, that can tackle good on the ball, plenty of energy and stuff. And I don't really think uh, I think that's what our midfield's lacking just now. So hopefully we bring something like that in. And then if we do need to continue sort of four two three one or something like that, if Nisbet's out for a bit longer, it might make that formation work a bit better as well. 
Um, Greg, I know you weren't overly impressed with Gogic on at the weekend. I just I, he was okay, but you know I think he's he's maybe just set standards that are that are very high of how he's performed so far in the season. Um, one thing I would say though, very intelligent for the penalty. Um, he won the header. Obviously, came off the post, but you know he didn't just stop and look at it. He got himself uh, back on the ball and put the ball in an area where we know we could attack it. And then Liam Gordon comes out with GBH and Liam Craig's not happy. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, we've been fairly negative, maybe saying like looking at the negative points and the tactics and stuff. Maybe in a more positive view, I don't think there's much more that we can really say about the defence this season in comparison to last season. But Harry, who's really been your shining light in that sort of back three, back five, whatever way we've set up so far this season? If you were to really pinpoint one player within that defensive unit, and the goalkeeper, who would, who would you be looking at to, who's improved the most? If it was based off the first um, four weeks of the season, I definitely would have said Doig, but I thought that he really struggled that game. But there wasn't any particular reason why, because um, who was he up against? Uh, McNamara, I think. Aye, and McNamara, he's got a good, like, he can put a good ball in the box and stuff. I saw him against uh, Aberdeen the week before and he looked really good. But I didn't think he was particularly impressive. It just looked like Doig was a bit slack on the ball. But um, overall, I think Paul McGinn's just been the silent hero of the team. He's just commanded the defence and for a right back to be that good in there is always a positive I just think he dominates in there I mean he's not exactly the tallest guy in the back four but he still does really well and um, he's one of those the modern uh, fullback is normally judged like Frimpong from Celtic for example he's terrible at defending but he's brilliant at going forward so the Celtic fans love him but McGinn's kind of the opposite he does carry the ball quite well when he goes forward and he does drive on a bit but yeah for me I think defensively in particular he's been our defensive MVP yeah I, I think Andy Walker, now I know we referenced before that we don't tend to agree with much that Andy Walker says, and to be fair, I don't really agree with this, but he was touting him for a Scotland call-up, and I think that's probably a couple of steps too far, but again, if Stephen O'Donnell's your first choice right back in the Scotland squad, you've probably probably got a decent chance. For me, I think Paul Hanlon's been superb. I think, again, um, I don't think he stood out too much at the weekend, but then after we scored, I know it was only a couple of minutes, but I really focused in on watching the defence after that. Paul Hanlon won three heaters in a row and St Johnson never got that flick on or that corner really. Whereas normally I think, especially last season, you'd be looking at Hanlon and probably even Portress as well, not confident that they'd be winning headers against the players like Callum Hendry. So they maybe never had too much to do, but then in the last couple of minutes when it really counts, they stood up and were counted. And I think the cameras just caught it at the end. Gogic, Portress, Hanlon, McGinn, Marciano, they all went absolutely mental at the full-time whistle, which is really good to see. I personally thought Hanlon probably should have been in the Scotland squad purely for his start to the season. I don't get Declan Gallagher started well. Uh, Motherwell, McKenna has hardly kicked a ball for Aberdeen. If they're still getting in the Scotland squad, surely Paul Hanlon's just as good an option, if not better, on current form. like Obviously, they two have played for Scotland before and have formed a bit of a partnership. But for me, I thought he had plenty of a chance to get in the Scotland squad. Greg, what about you? Defensive wise, who's impressed you the most? I'd have to say Paul McGinn again. I think that you know I've touched on it previously that people were very underwhelmed with the signing, um, possibly an old pal like him and Jack Ross. But for me, he's, he's been excellent, um, especially in that Dundee United game where he took the knock early on and then he went he came out with a couple of mazes. Um, but yeah, I just feel like he's so solid at the back. He's maybe not a player that will do anything amazing in a game, but he's just very solid, and, and that's exactly what we need at the back. 
Yeah, so wrapping up the St. Johnson game, obviously that puts us six points in front of Celtic, seven in front of Aberdeen. Obviously both teams have two games in hand. However, you're 11 ahead of Motherwell and Livingston already, so that's the teams that finished above you last season. We keep on saying it, but 11 points ahead of the teams that finished third and fifth, That like I don't really see either of the two teams or Hibs stringing together four wins on a row and then Hibs losing four games at the same time for that sort of gap to be made up. And obviously with Celtic and Aberdeen, they have to win the games in hand. I think you'd probably expect Celtic to, to do that and then sort of push up and overtake us as the season goes on just with their strength and depth. But again, with Aberdeen, obviously we've got them at the weekend and you're already seven points clear. If we can beat them, move ten points clear, their games in hand become a lot well, a lot less appealing for them really because I'd rather be sitting with the points on the board. What have you made Aberdeen so far this season? Um, obviously, there's not really that much to make because um, after the whole COVID pub situation, they got themselves into not actually played that often. But the thing is with McInnes, they play eye-bleeding football, but they win matches no matter what. They just got it in there. Like, For example, the worst game of football I've ever watched, I wasn't actually at the game, I was at the pub when I was at uni, but when they beat us on penalties, we absolutely battered them. And I think they maybe had like two shots the entire game and they just booted it up and it was horrendous. But they still somehow won. And that's the thing with Aberdeen. No matter how bad they're playing, when they come to Easter Road or we go to Pataudry, they're always going to bully us. And the referees just seem to let them get away with it because they know what they're going to do anyway. Um, so yeah, I hate playing Aberdeen, especially when McInnes is manager, because you know what you're going to get and it's never nice. Yeah, I think obviously me and you, Greg, we caught a bit of the St Johnston-Aberdeen game um, together on Thursday night and that was one of the worst games of football you could ever want to see however Aberdeen and if anything St Johnson were probably the better team in the game but exactly what you're saying Aberdeen got the deflected goal they kept the clean sheet and they went back up to Aberdeen with three points and again I was um, listening to the game on on the radio before the Hibs game at the weekend and obviously missed the sort of second half because we'd kicked off but by the sounds of it, Aberdeen were absolutely minging in the first half. And then, to be fair, the sort of sports scene highlights and stuff certainly don't suggest anything. Otherwise, Livy really should have been a goal or two up at half-time. And they just don't seem to have any want or desire to play the ball on the deck. Which, last season would have really worried me. The way the defence is shaping up this season, I think if Aberdeen punt it long to Marley Watkins, I think Hibs are going to soak that up. I, they've not got a cause growth who Hanlon has struggled against in the past. He's obviously injured for a good few months. Curtis Main as well has given us some problems in the past, which was absolutely shocking because he is dreadful. But he's out as well. So unless they go out and sign a striker in the next 24 hours, it looks like it's going to be Marley Watkins up front and then I think Ryan Hedges is sort of playing just off, off on with Kennedy out left. Like, I've expect Hibs to keep a clean sheet again this weekend but you know what's going to happen though it's either going to be a red card from McCrory or it's going to be a hat-trick there will be no middle <laughs> ground in this game it's going to be brutal no don't really want to talk about him <laughs> <laughs> Greg what Aberdeen what have you made them so far um, yeah not really a lot to go on terrible against Rangers um, obviously they've signed they signed the boy from Leeds up front and he's now out for however long Um I feel like, I don't want to say too much obviously because they'll end up coming and taking the feet off us, but I feel there's not a lot there for us to worry about. Um, their midfield looks alright. McCrory and Ferguson are, are good players, but in front of them, it, it's pretty slim pickings to be honest. Um, 
nobody really that worries me. I mean, I think maybe previously last season we'd have been worried with the way that the defence was, but this season we just look a lot more solid, a lot better unit. Um, so yeah, just and there's nobody really there that worries me for Aberdeen. One thing that does worry me is um, the current run of games that we're playing reminds me a lot of when um, Hecky first took over. We went on that mad run of games where we were playing pretty poorly, but we were winning every week. And those games were coming up against the dregs of the league that were kind of lingering around relegation zone. And um, the games we've played so far, even though we're getting the results and we've not played against particularly good teams, and I'm just kind of getting flashbacks to that. So I'm really hoping we can pick up points in the next couple of games against Aberdeen and St Mirren, because going into the old firm games, if we're playing the way we're playing, um, even though the defence has looked solid, I don't think we'll get any points from those two games. Yeah, I think it is definitely obviously key not to look too far ahead and try not to be too downbeat about the way that we're playing, especially we're sitting joint top of the league. Only Hibs could do that. But I think the Aberdeen game and then the Smirin game after the international break are massive for us. I think if we take six points for the two games, then we're going into the games against the Old Firm and there's literally no pressure on us. If we beat Aberdeen and St Mirren, you go in to play the Rangers first. So you've got Rangers at Easter Road. They need to beat us, quite frankly. You know what I mean? If we go in and we take a point off Rangers, then that's the end of the world for them. And then again against Celtic, depending on how we've done against them in the, uh, the previous week, if we are still unbeaten going into the games, there's no pressure on us because then it is really, I hate the term free hit against the old firm, but if you have literally dealt with the rest of the league in a good, comfortable fashion, not dropping many points, then the games become a free hit. And if you do take points, then it really just solidifies your sort of position as best of the rest, which is really what Hibs need to be aiming for this season as much as we don't want to admit that we're not going to win the league. What do you think, Greg? Do you see the similarities between this Hibs team sort of at the start of this season and then obviously sort of towards the end of the season where Hecky first came in. Yeah, I think um, with Hecky, it was definitely disguised with a new manager effect. He came in, um, things were really not great under Lennon towards the end and he came in, he changed everything um, and it worked for him. It, was that because it was new manager effect? I think it probably was. Because after that, with the start of the new season, he was just terrible. If you compare it to kind of Jack Ross coming in, <clears throat> um, Jack Ross has been a lot more consistent. He's come in and, you know, results did pick up um, when he first came in and things were things were looking up. But he's consistently done that. I think it, it shows where, you know, Hibs has taken the most points outside the old firm and, and scored the most goals. And you're going to expect the old firm to to score the most goals and, and get the most points. So, yeah, I think that Jack Ross has certainly come in and done a, a good job. Yeah, I think, obviously, one of Jack Ross's first games uh, last year was obviously the Aberdeen home game, I think, December time last year. And sort of this will be a nice tie-in at what we sort of hope and expect to see for Hibs this weekend. We played a really tight diamond against Aberdeen at home last season. With Boyle sort of being the right-hand central midfielder, but he still stayed pretty wide. And then you obviously had... Um, Scott Allen in there as well Joe Neal played on the left and the holding midfielder was Halberg and then so it wouldn't surprise me if Jack Ross tries to set up something like that again to really flood the centre of the park because obviously you do have McCrory Ferguson and then you've sort of got Hedges or if, assuming they go the same as what they did at the weekend they had um, Scott Wright in there so it wouldn't surprise me if he really tries to flood the middle of the park and try and keep it really tight in the midfield and when you do have the likes of Josh Doig on the side you know that on the left, he's got the legs to really get up and down. Gogic sitting there, like 
you can fill the gaps if Doyle does go too far forward. And if Doyle does play on the right of a diamond, he's still going to have the pace and the time and the space to go up sort of out wide right and not putting too much emphasis on McGinn getting up for overlaps, which I think he probably gets a little bit of stick for what he contributes going forward. There has been a few times where he gets forward and he contributes, but it's clearly not his strength. He's a solid defender and he's probably best on the right of three where he's not needed so much going forward. But I wouldn't be surprised to see Hibs go with a diamond if Kevin Nisbet's fit to start, if we can start two up front. The biggest worry for me going into Saturday is, eh, Sunday, sorry, is that Kevin Nisbet's not fit and Hibs go in with one up front again and we just get sucked into playing how Aberdeen play and we're just watching 90 minutes of ping ball again, which I don't think we're good enough at being like Aberdeen to beat Aberdeen in their ways. I think against Livingston, we went to Livy, played like Livy, but our quality came through. If we get suckered into playing the same type of football that Aberdeen play, I don't think we're good enough to beat Aberdeen. Not, I don't think we'll get beat. If we line up 4-2-3-1 and we're as slow to change it again, it wouldn't surprise me if we draw 0-0. I can see nil nil happening at the weekend if we start one up front. Harry, what what do you sort of want to see for Hibs at the weekend in terms of tactics and that? The one thing that concerns me is um, just off the back of his performance last week, um, I don't want Doig exposed on the wing defensively against either Hayes or Kennedy because they're two players that are experienced in the Scottish game and could probably take advantage of them. If they've watched the game, they'll bound to have watched footage back of last week and they'll have seen that he got exposed quite a bit last week. So I'd hope that if we did play a diamond, it would be a slightly wider diamond than usual just so that he's got the support when he's taken on those players because if he plays like he did last week, I think that Hayes or Kennedy could definitely take advantage of that. But as we've said, I think the strength of Hibs this season is when we've got two up front, we can create a lot of chances. Even if we're not taking them like in the Motherwell game, I think we had two or three clear-cut chances, but we just didn't take them. So... I think if we get them again this week against Aberdeen, because I think there's quite a lot of hatred uh, from Hibs against Aberdeen. I think Deutsch feels like he's got something to prove after his abysmal performance up there last season. So I'm confident going into the game, but I was confident going into the St Johnston game, and up until the 90th minute, I felt like an idiot. But then, obviously, we Stevie Mallon stepped up, so hopefully something similar to that. I would love if we played absolutely horrifically, and in the last minute of the game, we scored from a corner, just something really crap, so that McKennis can feel gutted on the bus ride home. Yeah, I mean, I thought a total tangent here, but there's not a person outside the hearts in Scottish football that I hate more than Derek <laughs> Like, honestly, he's just... Kenny just looks like an absolute prick. He just... Well, I don't, I don't, like, he, honestly, he's so smug, and he always says, oh, the, the boys worked hard, they deserved it. They play absolutely dinosaur football, and I think teams like Aberdeen are going to get a little bit more publicity than your Hamilton's, your Livy's, and that. Well, Aberdeen play worse football than Hamilton, than St Mirren, and people like that having higher higher profile game uh, jobs in Scotland, I don't think it's good for, really good for the product that we're trying to show. So I hope that we fucking do them, to be honest, on Sunday. I really hate Aberdeen, so Greg, what are you expecting? Yeah, I'd, I'd like to see us just go for it. Um, obviously, if we can win, then we go 10 points, clear them, puts a bit of pressure on them with their games in hand. I would, I would just like to see us set up quite attacking. Um, I can see similarities between ourselves and, and a Derek McInnes-Aberdeen team lately, and it's, it's really frustrating. We shouldn't be anything like that. Um, they can continue to play that football, but we should really be trying to get the ball down, knock it about, and, and really pass it down teams, but 
yeah, I'd, I'd like just to see us uh, just go for it and put three, four, five past them, to be honest. You sort of touched on it there, Greg. Hibs have been very Aberdeen like so far this season. How do you put it out on your Twitter to sort of see how long would Hibs fans sort of go along with the sort of style of play that we've seen in the last few games? Is it something that we think is going to be a maybe permanent fixture? And would Hibs fans accept sort of pish football but third place and maybe, a, well, I was going to say a cup win, but Aberdeen didn't win cups. So <laughs> for me, I think a, a season of maybe average football but doing really well I think at that point that's when people would be completely bored but Greg's already shaking his head I know that Greg's pretty much like a lot of Hibs fans where I think all of us we, ha- we expect a type of player and we expect, expect a type of football to be played at Easter Road and that's probably what's cost us maybe in previous years we've been too soft at the back we've dropped points for winning games maybe trying to overplay at times maybe not in the last couple of years we've just been pish but Previous to that, like under John Hughes, we just played, tried to play total football four two four. We're scintillating up till Christmas, and then absolutely <laughs> dreadful <coughs> in the second half of the season. What What do you think? Where do you see Hibs fans are at with that? Do you think that we can, Jack Jack Ross can get away with Hibs playing average but getting results, or do you think fans would start to turn eventually? Would it only take one bad result to to move the sort of tide? I think the main problem is when you play that kind of football, it's not really been a problem for McInnes because he's managed to generate results, but for Jack Ross when he was at Sunderland, um, quite a lot of their fans weren't happy because he did tend to sit on leads and 1-0 wins, 2-1 wins was kind of what he specialised in. But the problem with this kind of football is there's a lot of draws and when you're competing for something, like when he was competing for promotion with Sunderland, obviously lots of draws aren't going to cut it. And we're competing for Europe, ideally in third place, because if we get third place in Europe, um, we're guaranteed a group stage in the European competition, which, when was the last time Hibs qualified for a group stage in anything? Like, that sounds unbelievable. So, um, yeah, but for me, I love shithousery. Being honest, I'm low-key jealous of the way that Aberdeen have played across the years, because I love when you do something absolutely terribly and you get results from it. So see if Hibs just absolutely frustrate the life of everybody, including Hibs fans. I would hate it, but I would absolutely love it at the same time. I think as well, I think all three of us and people that we know as well, the f- the feeling at full time on, on Sunday, despite not being at the ground, that was the biggest sort of eupho- euphoria that I've had so far this season. When you do batter a team like we did Livy, you sort of expect the win from maybe the other mark. When we scored the last minute at St Johnson there, that was the best I've felt after a Hibs game, probably since maybe the Derby on Boxing Day. And so there definitely is a bit of that sort of shithousery of coming in, being absolutely shite, and stealing the points and taking them back with us. That's definitely an element. And I think it's something that Hibs fans want to have in our armory. I think everyone wants Hibs to be able to do that. But I don't think... I don't. I just don't think we're good enough, probably, to continuously be able to do it. And I don't think that Jack Ross would ever get the time that McInnes has got at Aberdeen to build that team that's just designed not to get beat, have good players wide or whatever, and hit on the counter and score late on. And even obviously you see now, I think Aberdeen fans, despite the fact that they finished top four for the last five, six years, are really getting fed up in McInnes. And hopefully, absolutely just does one. I must say, I absolutely am not all aboard the shit house of the football <laughs> train. 
I genuinely detest it. We're so much better than that. We've got so much ability in our squad that we should not have to resort to that every week. I get it. You know, we might have to do it at points during the season, but that certainly shouldn't be the game plan every week. We're so much better than that. And to be honest, I can understand why Aberdeen fans are working with the McInnes now, because he must be bored to tears, man. Aye, I, I, said, I don't think I could watch it every week, but last few weeks have definitely shown uh, quite a wee bit of perseverance. Perseverance hey. in Perth. But um, <laughs> just to wrap up the preview and uh, the review for last week, Greg, score predictions for the Aberdeen game. I think Motherwell game, we've, both, we've all went in high. St Johnson game, we've went in high. So I'm assuming you're going for about 6-0. Yeah, I'm going to go 0-0. You can just see it. 0-0, we're all over it. Harry? Uh, I like to be the optimist, but I think that we're going to be really frustrated shouting a lot about the referee at the TV because they're going to have about 20 fouls and we're going to end up with more bookings in them. But I'm going to be confident. Confidence? Uh, we're going to be confident. And like I always say against Hearts, at some point we are due Aberdeen an absolute hammering. It's going to be this weekend 4 1 to Hibs. 4 1, right. I'm going to stay on my Stevie Mallon train. We're going to stay on the 0 0 draw before half time. Hibs are going to win 2-0. Stevie Mallon's coming off the bench to score again. The boy is going to be different gravy this season now that he's fit. And I will continue to tweet all aboard the Stevie Mallon train <laughs> as long as this continues. So please don't let me down, Stevie. Right, so news just broke a couple of hours before we recorded this. I was quietly confident last week that Martin Boyle was going to sign a new contract with Hibs and, and you <laughs> absolutely ripped me for being quietly confident did they work before? so lads another three years of Boyle extension for two years summer 2023 is a Hibs player for probably going past that as well because he'll be I think he'll be approaching 30 at that point just how good a bit of business is that for Hibs? tremendous um Purely for the fact that if he does go, well, when he does go, then we'll get a good fee for him. Um, great for the club, getting over the line. Um, another year, just kind of, hopefully gets back to his best, because in recent weeks he's, he's gone off the boil, if you'll pardon the pun. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, <clears throat> I certainly think that it's a massive signing for us. He's such a key player on and off the park. I think Harry touched on it uh, previously, that he's such a big character in the dressing room and Everyone that kind of leaves Hibs says, oh, Martin Boyle this and Martin Boyle that. But, yeah, no, it's ma- massive signing for us and hopefully he can just really kick on now. Yeah, and Harry, what, what's your thoughts on the news? And like I said with the Jackson thing leaving, I was kind of gutted with how poor that was tweeted out. But the coverage of Boyle staying on has been I'm absolutely fantastic. not fucking fantastic. leaving! not fucking leaving! Right. But, um, I know, that's absolutely fantastic. All the players on Twitter as well being vocal about it. Gogic, we are brilliant uh, tweet as always. Um, Dodge has got involved Newell's tweeted about him so it's nice to see the team coming together because I think that they know he's one of the star men um, <laughs> of the team and yeah I'm absolutely delighted because as we said since the first game of the season he's not really been himself I don't know if it's the fact that he was in the contract negotiations it's kind of been playing on his mind a bit but as I said previously um, I think that players like him and McGinn they feel a real loyalty to the club so I don't think he would have left on a free contract and because nobody um, has uh, come in for him uh, with a transfer bid, I don't think he wanted to leave the club without giving us anything because um, we swapped him for Alex Harris way back in the day and what a trade that is in the end. Um, massive bit of business from Stubbsy 
and just shows the genius that is Paul Hartley. Not exactly, <laughs> but we took him from a very raw player and we've made him into an absolute gem of a player who's debatably the best player at the old firm when he's on his day at the moment. So I'm absolutely delighted with it. Yeah, I think that for Martin Boyle to be at Hibs under contract, I think he's there at least for another probably two seasons now because when whilst he's under contract, we we have all the all the cards if someone wants to come in and take us from him. And quite frankly, I don't think Leanne Dempster, Graham Maffey or Ron Gordon or Muggs, I don't think we'd be seeing Martin Boyle leave Hibs for anything under like three, four, five million. Because Ryan Kent's going for like what, 20 million or something down south? Like, Martin Boyle's every bit of the player that Ryan Kent is, if not better. And I don't really think any club would pay a Hib- that much money for a Hibs player. Greg, Martin Boyle? Yeah, I know it's like Kevin, <coughs> Kevin Kyle is getting slated for his comments on Open Goal, um, saying that you know, if Kent was to, to leave then, then why not go for Martin Boyle? And I think I think people took, took a wee bit of offence to that, but on his day, Martin Boyle's every bit of the player that Ryan Kent is. I mean, the, the boy's unstoppable at times, the pace, the power. Um, he's certainly improved a lot since he came at Hibs. Um, and to be honest, we should be wearing stripy jumpers and masks getting on and swapping on with Alex Harris. I'm, aye. I mean, looking back on that, and if you were even just look at the player that we signed in January 2015 to the player that we have now, it's night and day. The boys obviously had a couple of bad injuries. He got a bad injury at the end of his loan spell uh, the last day of the season away to Falkirk. And then obviously he's had his two injuries recently as well. So it's testament to him, one, that he's still even got in him to sort of come back after them and the level that he's performing at. And the flexibility that he offers us as well, like I said earlier, I would maybe not mind him almost playing like a tight right. You obviously mentioned him being wider as well. Where do you see Martin Boyle's best position? For me, I think right wing back, as much as a lot of people don't think it is, maybe it is because Hibs play better in a 3-5-2, but under Lennon we got the best out of him at 3-5-2. When we came back last season, uh, we sort of played sort of some 3-5-2 under Ross as well. He started this season well. I know he scored his goals playing down the middle, but I genuinely think playing right wing back with someone like Paul McGinn is better for Martin Boyle than being further up the pitch. He played right wing against St Johnston and he was pretty ineffective. I think he needs, because he's so pacey, I think he needs to be able to pick the ball up on the halfway line and be like really get the time to drive at the full back and get up to full pace because then it is literally just a knock pass. There's no really any skill involved. It's just controlling the ball and getting past him. I think when he does start a little bit higher up on the right side, he does, we don't get the best out of him unless we can get the balls in behind for him. But I don't think in terms of his like directness, it's not probably his best position. For me, I think right wing back is the best, but also probably biased because I want to see him play three five two. Harry, what about yourself? Do you see him striker, winger, wing back? I think when you've got a player that can be as direct as Boyle, I think it's good when you kind of give him the th- free role of just anywhere on the wing. Because when he's playing at wing back, he's pretty much, because we've got the three at the back, whoever's at right uh, centre-back for being McGinn this season, he can just kind of drift over. So if Martin Boyle wants to power down the wing, he's got that option. But the thing that I think that um, makes Boyle so effective is he's not afraid to run inside with the ball. So he'll come in off the wing. He won't just power down the wing and go for crosses. This season he's been very direct into the middle and that's really difficult for defenders to deal with because obviously they have to keep their eye on the defend on the strikers, sorry, but if the um winger is running inside towards them, then how are they supposed to track the striker and defend our oncoming run from Boyle? So playing him in a role in which he's got that freedom to just directly attack the central the centre of uh, defence 
I think that's where he's at his strongest. Same que- same question to yourself, Greg. Where, where do you, if you could pick a team and you had to put Martin Boyle in your eleven, where would you be putting him? Preferably for me, it would have to be right wing back or on the wing. Um, but we've seen many times that he can play through the middle, no problem. Um, possibly while Nisbet's injured, we should maybe look at playing him through the middle with Dodge. Um, but certainly, I think for the best position for Boyle personally, would have to be um, out in the wing, right wing back, or just right wing. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing really more to say about Martin Bob. We all rave about him. He really is the star guy in this Hibs team. He's a legend at Hibs. He's won the Cup. He's scored the goals at Tencastle. He's a really infectious player. The fans probably took to him straight away. Probably one of the most underwhelming signings, if you like. I think he came in on the morning of the derby, then made his debut. There was not really any fanfare when he came in. Compare that to where we are now and... Twitter's just erupted the night and I think everyone is absolutely delighted. I think people were maybe questioning Hibs' ambition, if you like, after losing out on McCrory to Aberdeen. But to tie down Martin Boyle on another three-year contract, probably going to be our highest earner now as well. That shows that Hibs are only messing about. It's not just a one-year extension, so you'd be thinking, right, he's going to go next summer, he's going to go in January. That's a substantial period of time where Martin Boyle's a Hibs player. We can plan for him in the team and if he stays fit... Sort of thing we touched on it last week. He is in a position, and we're in a position already. And I think he touched on it in his interview. We can really kick on this season and having and just knowing that no matter what, unless a team comes in and bids silly money, when the window closes in October, Martin Boyle is still going to be a Hibs player. I think that could be a massive boost to everyone at the club. And I don't know who um, should get the credit for it, whether it be Dempster, Gordon or uh, Ross, or maybe even Matthew, but the fact that we're getting all our players now and we're bringing them in and we're putting them on three or four year deals, it's brilliant business because the main problem for Hibs in the past like 15 years even, um, so many short term or loan signings and stuff and they're just short term fixes, but now we're bringing in players and we're like, right, we want to actually build a squad, we want to build a team for a season, we want to build a squad that we can actually uh, use in the future, so if we're going to play in Europe next season, if we qualify, we don't have to worry about scrambling to get players last minute because we've actually got the players that are getting us there to actually play in these games. So I'm really happy with the way that Hibs are actually doing their business these days. Again, another Scottish player, even though he's playing for Australia, that we've tied down. And I think that that's a really good core component to have to a team because the reason we've struggled before is too many loan signings and too many players from England that don't know the game here. Yeah, so obviously that's his tie boiled down. That was a player that was going to be out of contract at the end of this season. Other players, like you're saying, that we want to get players tied down, and you know, off the top of my head, we've got Marciano out of contract at the end of the season, Joe Newell out of contract at the end of the season, and then also you've got Lewis Stevenson, Paul McGinn, and Daryl Horgan out of contract at the end of this season as well. Out of the players, who would you want to see Harry Hibbs sort of look at to tie down next? I think Stevenson's obviously, I think everyone would probably expect him to get maybe another year or maybe something similar to what Darren McGregor's got. And I'm not one massive for giving players deals and moving them to coaching, but I think Lewis Stevenson is a player that I think it would break every Hibs fan's heart to see him lining up against us. Nobody's probably ever been the biggest fan, but I think he is a player we want to keep at the club. So Marciano, Newell, McGinn, Horgan, who would you be looking to get tied down next? Or none of them, would you be happy to see them all go? Or Just off the basis of playing this year, um, at the moment I'd love to see McGinn get an extra year or two um, added to his and Horgan as we've said before last year was a bit rubbish but this year against Lovey in particular he looks fantastic he's um, 
on the left cutting inside and crossing seems to be working really well for him because last year he was quite direct to trying to get the ball into the box with his left foot but when he actually cuts inside and crosses with his right so maybe we'd, if we do move Boyle up front until Nisbet recovers we could see him on the right maybe putting crosses in there um, so yeah I'd love to see um, even just in that extra year because the more the bigger a squad we've got tied down the better so I think I wouldn't begrudge giving all those players contracts even just for a year's extension and Greg would you be and I hurry to give any of them maybe two or three years, like Joe yeah. Newell or Marciano. I certainly think should be tying Newell down to a reasonable contract. Um, possibly also Marciano. Um, can't really put a price on a good goalkeeper, to be honest. He's, he's been pretty solid. Um, I would also give Horgan a couple more years. Um, I think he, he is one that, that certainly adds to the squad. Um, he, he does have his moments. He's maybe more of an impact player, but I think with his performance at Levy, you, you see what he's got. Maybe inconsistent at times, but yeah, I certainly think I'd give him another couple of years as well. Yeah, so for me, Marciano's now in his fifth season at Hibs, and I'd definitely be looking to give him another. Like what Greg said, you can't put the price on a good goalkeeper, and I think Marciano's comfortably been the best Hibs goalkeeper in my lifetime. And I don't think you can overestimate the impact that having a regular goalkeeper does have in a defence. Him and Hanlon should have a good relationship there, him and Porcher, so I'd be looking to tie Marciano down to another good two or three years, maybe, maybe even another four, because I don't think he's that old, he's still coming into his prime, and he's probably got selling value as well, he's pretty much Israel's number one now I think, so for me Marciano I'd definitely be looking at Daryl Horgan, again after the Livy game, I think we mentioned on it, he does look like a player that's improved this season, but thought he was terrible against St Johnston late. Got himself in a lot of good positions, but there was no composure, head down, sort of back to Darrell Horgan, just running into players. And again, Joe Newell, terrible at the start, didn't he look like he could be arsed. And then under Jack Ross, he's had a renaissance, but again, last three games, he's not been great. So I think he's still got a little bit to prove. To I would definitely give him a year, but I think he's still got a bit to prove in terms of um, does he deserve maybe two or three years, but in the main, I think we've got a good squad now. It's, pretty, it's a decent age as well. Um, so I would probably, if, if we handed contracts to them all, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be raging either way. But definitely Marciano, I would definitely want to be tying down next. The rest of them, I'd be okay with, but not that bothered. All right, well, I'm just going to bring you back there to saying that Marciano's the best goalkeeper of our lifetime. Because I think, yeah, he's good at pulling off these flashy saves, but the boy is a footballer that can't kick a football. He can hardly throw the ball when he does, he does it well, but he hardly does it. He can't command the box. The best goalkeeper of our lifetime, he wasn't with us for long and he didn't play many games, but Conrad Logan is the best <laughs> goalkeeper we've ever seen. He played in that semi-final on his debut and he looked like an out-of-shape piece of shit. And I was like, why is this guy playing in a semi-final? And he put in the performance of a lifetime. So, no... Marciano, although he's been potentially the greatest goalkeeper of uh, our lifetime, he's definitely not the best because that title definitely goes to Conrad. I mean, I, to- I totally forgot who I was dealing with, to be fair. I mean, Papa Gogic is the <laughs> only player that has come close for you to Conrad Logan. That has taken over your full heart, so I do offer my, my apologies. And Greg, I'm surprised you were that nice about Marciano because you're, you're really the mm. biggest fan so I've seen you shaking your head there as I was chatting what what do you wish to add? Um, last season some of the kicking was just awful I sit in the left slipper and sometimes Trump's I honestly, honestly think I'm <laughs> going to get the ball for him um, also don't think he's the, the, the best in my lifetime I would have to give that to Daniel Anderson 
Um, possibly purely for the penalty should have saved against Rangers at uh, Hamden. <laughs> and obviously Bobby Williams and Master stroke in the final. Right. 2-0 off Livy. So what we're saying then is if, Mar- if Hibs win the cup this season and Marciano has a couple of good games at Hamden, then he can go... Maybe if we win both the- cups then. And this season's Scottish Cup. Right, okay, but we're agreed that we'd want to keep him. And whilst we're on the subject of Marciano, not only is he magic and comfortably our best goalkeeper in our lifetimes, he also won the coveted high of the week from Down the Slope podcast listeners last week. Harry, you have now nominated one and won one, as have I. Greg, you can have first nomination this week to see if you can get off the board. What are you saying? I'd appreciate everyone's support for this one, to be honest, because I'm, I'm the only one not to win any. So, if you could all vote for mine, um, I'm going for Paul McGinn, um, since the Toy Story. Just think he's been exceptional again this week, um, solid every week, at least an 8 out of 10. So, I would like everyone to vote for Paul McGinn, please. <laughs> please, <laughs> please, no, please. And Harry? Well, I was going to potentially give Hybe. Of the week to the officiating crew up at St Johnston because they had an absolute shambles in cutting off that goal. But John Beaton's a prick, so he's definitely not getting it. To be fair, he's actually quite sound. Is he? I mean, give penalty. Aye, not true. <laughs> Definite pen though. But the guy I'm giving it to, he made everybody's evening tonight, and it is Martin Boyle signing that contract. I think it's just what we all wanted. Everybody's been nervous about it for weeks. We were scared that we were going to lose him for free at the end of the season. And yeah, definitely Martin Boyle. That's definitely better than Paul McGinn. You need to vote for me. If we're saying please, I'm begging. Come on, Martin Boyle. He's not fucking leaving. He's our player, and he's here for at least three more years. I mean, that is just absolute like safe as you could go <laughs> imagine actually picking the fans favourite that everyone's going to go for that Rush more folk like Paul again for me well, I'm certainly not going to win a popularity contest with this one but I'm well on that train I'm well on it Stevie Mallon it takes fucking big balls to step up and hit a penalty in the 91st minute especially when you've only played like 20 minutes hey competitive football for so for me Stevie Mallon gets it mainly because everyone else was pish but so I don't know why it'd be Boyle or why it'd be uh, McGinn but Stevie Mallon come on just let's show him that we actually didn't mind Lord Farquhar <laughs> <laughs> but yes so we'll find that out into the Twitter poll we'll put that out uh, on Thursday and then we'll probably run it up to kick off in the Aberdeen game so let us know who you think was high of the week last week and then we'll obviously announce the winner in next week's episode and we're getting towards the end. That only leaves us with this week's hips today. So here is a little clip from the game that we're going to be chatting about this week. It is actually on this day from the 27th of August uh, 2005. So hope you enjoy this and I think you'll all recognise the game straight away. Right behind the goal, of course. Look at the pace of Sproul. He's still in there, Sproul. It's going to be number three. It's a hat-trick. You would never believe it. The substitute comes on at Ibrox with a score nothing each and decimates the Rangers' defence. The Rangers. <laughs> well, the commentator obviously knew something in advance, like you say, Harry, the Rangers. So, obviously, as the, inf- the infamous, the very famous uh, Ivan Sproul hat-trick game at Ibrox, obviously came off the bench that day, so obviously we're running through the starting 11, Zibby Malkowski and goals. Yeah, obviously why Marciano's best goalkeeper in our lifetime. <laughs> uh, Stephen Whitaker at right back, Hogg and Smith centre half, David Murphy at left back, 
Boozalan, Michael Stewart, Scott Brown and Kevin Thompson in the middle of the park with Dean Shields playing just off of Gary O'Connor. Off the bench that day, you had Stephen Glass in the last minute for Kevin Thompson. Ivan Sproul famously come on for Gary O'Connor in the 63rd minute and Stephen Fletcher came on for Dean Shields in the 73rd minute. Subs not used that day, Simon Brown, Conte, Sam Morrow and Rudge. What are your memories of that day, boys? Greg? Um, singing Champions League and having a laugh. That was just unbelievable. I think when Gary O'Connor came off, he was like, what the fuck's he going to do? And uh, that's exactly what happened. He just came on and scored a hat-trick, tucked them away, and that was a good night Vienna. I I, I was only seven at the time, so um, my parents didn't really feel comfortable with me going to Ibrox at that age. But I just remember it was back in the days where you'd use teletext and then we hadn't checked for about five minutes and then we went back on and we were 2-0 up and some random boy who I'd not even heard of at the time, Ivan Sproul, had scored two goals. I was like, what's that all about? So then we leave it thinking, obviously, perhaps we're going to mess it up and then we check it after the final result. 3-0, some random boy called Ivan Sproul scored that hat-trick at Ibrox. Couldn't believe my eyes and I just remember running around the house with my sister going absolutely mental. I mean, again, we, we touched on it last week because from, sort of from a similar time frame, it's just another, a, two, a season or two on from last week's history. Players that you would take from that team, obviously last week we sort of done a toss-up between O'Connor and Ryden. Ryden wasn't in the squad that day and O'Connor we, we spoke about last week, so we'll avoid them. Who out of that starting eleven would you look to be taken? So you've, like I've said, quickly you've got sort of Whitaker, Scott Brown, Boozy, David Murphy, um, obviously Spinell himself, Dean Shields, Thompson. Who who would you be looking at, Harry, for that from that eleven to pop into the Hibs team today if they could come in at the prime of their Hibs career and start against Aberdeen at the weekend? I mentioned them last week, but I thought in that particular game they filled the role, which is exactly what we're missing, and that was Scott Brown. His runs from the back, I think it was for the second goal, he played, sorry, for the third goal, he played Sproul through, and it was absolutely fantastic. Just the way he picks up the ball and carries it so far, he's just so exciting to watch. And also, even though Lewis Stevenson has been an absolute legend at the club, David Murphy is probably the best left back of our lifetime. I thought he was just fantastic, so I wouldn't have minded seeing him stick around for another five or six years on top of what he played for Hibs already. So, who would you, who, if you had to go for one? I'd go Scott Brown. Okay, um, Greg, so Scott Brown's off the table. Who are you going for? Yeah, I'd probably go for Kevin Thompson. <clears throat> I thought actually at that age, Thompson was the better player than Brown. Um, I always feel like Thompson's going to have a better career, but due to one reason or another, do you like, do you like breaks? He didn't. So, um, but yeah, I would have to say Kevin Thompson, he was just so tidy in the midfield, he was just excellent. I like myself, I wonder if I left it. <laughs> so I think just touching on what Harry said what you've literally just said there where I won their left foot David Murphy's got probably the best first touch that I remember seeing at Easter Road I think there was a game against Hearts I'm sure it was one of his first games and the ball literally just got pinged over at the East stand and the boys just brought this down like I don't know how it never went for a throw and the boys brought it down like an absolute joke and I was only like a, 2005 so I'd have been 8 or 9 or something and I was like just in shock, it was like the best bit of football and skill I'd seen, and for me, David Murphy was an absolute joke, and I think it took us so long to replace David Murphy, when I don't really remember having a, that good a left-back, and then obviously it resulted in Stevenson going for centre mid to left-back, really, as, as the years went on, so he didn't really move to left-back until uh, the season of Fenland, the second season under Pat Fenland, so the sort of period between Pat Fenland and... Um, Murphy leaving, we never really had a left back and never replaced him. But for, 
seeing as we've already got two options between Thompson and Brown, it's a good debate. We've obviously seen them have respective careers. Brown's won everything you can win in Scotland. Thompson, like Greg said, has been really unlucky with injury. For me, if I was to be pushed, I think I would probably go with Scott Brown, but that Scott Brown. I don't think we need Scott Brown in his current form in the Hibs team because he's just a bit of a cunt. And <laughs> we didn't really want to be playing that sort of football, but I think Scott Brown, young Scott Brown, is exactly what we need in the team now. A bit box-to-box, good on the ball, still a bit of a prick, but like the energy, and I think then that would give you the options of playing two in midfield and stuff. But for me... Uh, I would probably go Scott Brown as the player from Hipstery that could get into the this weekend starting eleven. Are we are we happy with that? Nah, not really. I feel like I never win anything here, so yeah, because of that one, <laughs> conspiracy. Favorite winning against Rangers then out with the cup final because Jesus Christ, it's the most obvious thing, and we'll say out with the the Hibstery game as well. Other than that, it could be Ibrox, Easter Road, Hamden, like you touched on earlier, the penalty win. Harry, what's your favorite game game against Rangers? It would have to be back in the days of the championship. It was a Friday night and we went through to Ibrox and we had such a laugh. The first goal, I think, was Scott Robertson on a rebound and the second goal was the iconic Lewis Stevenson volley. He runs over to the fans and he's got that class picture of him with his arms out and it is just absolutely glorious. I'll never forget that night. It was one of, I had a great day that day as well and that just tipped it off. It was fantastic. Greg? Um, it was close. Um my favourite one would probably have to be the 2-1 game. Um, Scott Allen's first game back when they turned Greg Dockett inside it. Um, obviously, we went one up to John McGinn. Um, they scored and we went right up the other end and got a penalty and Jimmy McLaren somehow, apart from trying his best to miss it, scored. <laughs> um, that was a, a brilliant game. But also, I'd just like a wee notable mention for when we went to Ibrox after being beaten 2-0 at home at Hearts. And we won 3-0 with Liam Miller, Francis Dicko and Saul Bamba scoring. At Colin Calderwood's first game, second game? Yeah, I think so. It's an absolutely terrible team. For me, to break away from winning the Ibrox, which is genuinely probably the best feeling, I think, especially for the Championship into the sort of first season back in the Premiership, we had pretty much dominated Rangers, really. Um, but for me, I'm going to go for a Championship game, 4-0 at home. That was absolutely unbelievable. Some of the goals we scored that day, David Gray's goal, Liam Craig's goal, the absolute mouthpiece, the Scott Allen pass uh, for Scott Robertson's goal. What a day. And to see them all not doing their walking away, as they say, and with 15 minutes to go their way in, was absolutely empty. And I think as well, with the time of year it was, it was sort of Christmas game, I think it was 27th of December, so quite a lovely wee Christmas present there. The worst part of it was, I actually went straight to a bloody Christmas temp shift at Marks and Spencer's with the guy who straight after that changed it I think I actually was at the game in my M&S uniform straight on a 22 along with that so couldn't really celebrate it properly but what a day great feeling and just seeing them just sneaking out was absolutely outstanding probably my favourite part of that game was uh, when Scott Allen was just toying with Ian Black I think Scott <laughs> Allen done laps in the pitch and Ian Black got hooked shortly after that. I mean, I think, actually, sort of, when you say that, I think that's the game that really stamped Scott Allen's authority onto a Hibs team. 
I think everyone can image exactly what you're talking about. He swatted Ian Black off like he was nothing on earth, and Black got subbed off ten minutes later or whatever, which is absolutely lovely to see. You love to see it. Harry, you got anything further to add on that game or any other Rangers games that run, run close in your mind? I just wanted to give an honourable mention to the Slivkova 1.0, where Slivka's volley ended up securing a 3-2 victory for Hibs. I got very drunk that night and dedicated my hangover to Vikintas Slivka, who... Even though his performances in previous seasons have lacked, that one will always hold a special place in my heart. Aye, then. Third game in a row against Rangers, 3 2 win for the Hibs. And I think that is the perfect way to end this uh, episode of the podcast. Certainly wouldn't mind another 3 2 victory at the weekend, obviously against Aberdeen this time. Cheers for listening, guys. Greg, Harry, thanks for joining us again. Thank you very much. And Cheers. we'll hopefully have you listening next week again. Cheers. Thank you.